1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Superstar Frank Moreno. We lost a real superstar a few days ago. No more will the world hear the cinematic, larger-than-life voice of... Watch
2: him now, watch him Remember, he's got two hands, right? Damn, man! What the hell are you doing? This guy will knock you on your ass! Come on, Rock, it's not a game. You want to lay in the hospital for five weeks this time? You thought I was tough, this jump will kill you. All right. Come on, come on, get your head on your shoulders, man. Think about the fight, think about the fight. Clubber Lang's in here, he's trying to hurt you, Rock. He's trying to hurt you. Okay, here he comes. Jab, he's jabbing, he's jabbing, he's trying to hurt you. You gotta fight him, you gotta move. <laughs> Nothing else. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow.
1: So uh that is Carl Weathers best known as the the iconic role of Apollo Creed and he will be forever known as Apollo Creed. Rocky is one of the best films of all time. Rocky changed the landscape for everything that came after it. Every sports film, every boxing film Every film about someone digging deep within themselves to overcome adversity. First of all, the story of how Rocky was made is pretty fascinating. And Rocky is based on a real-life person. It's based on a real-life guy, uh, Chuck Wepner, who's been a guest on this show, who's a great character, and who I think Sylvester Stallone even now acknowledges is the basis for Rocky. Apollo Creed is clearly based on Muhammad Ali, There is, I can't see anyone, maybe not even Muhammad Ali, playing Apollo Creed as well as Carl Weathers did. Now, uh, Carl Weathers had an incredible career. More than just Rocky, but he was tremendous in the first four Rocky films. Uh, Predator. Happy Gilmore. Combat Carl in the Toy Story movies, which my son really likes. And a couple of other television things, which we'll talk about in a minute. A lot of folks may not realize that, you know, Carl Weathers wasn't just this jacked uh, guy that was in great shape. He was an athlete. He went to school. You know, his father was a day laborer. And he got an athletic scholarship, Carl did, to St. Augustine High School, a private school. And he was an all-around athlete. He was involved in boxing, football, gymnastics, soccer wrestling, judo. The guy could do anything. He was an incredible physical specimen. And I invited Fred Dreyer on the show uh, this morning, and he wasn't able to make it, but maybe he'll come on tomorrow because it's so interesting to me how some people can make that transition to from athle- athletics to Hollywood seamlessly. You know, The Rock is probably the best example of people these days. Other people try, they're not able to do it. They could be the biggest baseball stars, biggest football stars in the world, uh, biggest boxing stars in the world, and not able to make that transition as effectively as some others might be. So he goes to college, was a star at uh, as a football player in college, and then gets you know gets to play in the NFL. Played for the Oakland Raiders. Now going to be the L- Las Vegas Raiders. Plays or the is the L- uh, Las Vegas Raiders. He. Plays for the Oakland Raiders, has an okay career um, for a year or two. Eh, You know, he deals with some injuries and some some other issues. It's clear he's not going to be a Hall of Fame NFL football player. Goes to play football in Canada. Plays there for a short time and then retires from football and starts as an acting career. And what does he start as a, as an actor, as a football player? He gets these roles as you know um, as athletes, and then he starts getting to play in these black exploitation films. Gets to be in a couple of episodes of uh, of Kung Fu. But Rocky was the game changer for him and for the world. While auditioning for the role of Apollo Creed, alongside Sylvester Stallone and Rocky. Carl Weathers, I mean, you talk about a guy, this was nobody in the acting business. He criticized Stallone's acting. He understand, Stallone is basically in charge of this production. He wrote the script and he's the star of the film. He's producing it, along with you know, some other fellows. But he criticizes Stallone's acting and says, you know, you're not convincing. And it was that criticism that got him cast. As Apollo Creed, and then, sure enough, he stayed in the um, you know the next couple of versions, you know the next three Rocky films, and he was terrific, absolutely terrific. Now, um, it's funny because uh, several of the Rocky films are great, and I saw the first. Uh, I, I haven't seen all the Creed films, but uh, I saw them all up to Rocky Balboa, and I enjoy all the Rocky films. But Rocky Four has got to be. The silliest movie ever made. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's an absolutely ridiculous film where basically you have a boxer single handedly defeating communism and the Soviet Union, and you have a, another boxer dying in the ring in an exhibition match. It's just, it's a ridiculous premise. However, the way that um, Apollo Creed, played brilliantly by Carl Weathers, is able to pull that off. He makes you buy into that, and to me, that's the definition of a special performer and a special actor. Someone that takes the most ridiculous plot in the world, the most ridiculous premise in the world, and gets you riveted. And you're in tears. When, you know, there's a very emotional moment in Rocky IV, and you know what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to say, because it's shocking the number of films that I mentioned that people haven't seen, and... You're in tears when that occurs. So in Rocky IV, there's a, uh, you know, I got to work with Warner Wolf, the famous sportscaster for many years, and Warner Wolf did in Rocky IV what I'm hoping to do in Terrifier Three. He plays, right for it, a sportscaster. For those of you that don't remember Warner's role in Rocky IV, this is what, Ro- what Warner sounded like. I can't get over the size of this rush. There you go. Uh, can't get over the size of this Russian. And he said Stallone was a very good director. He said, oh, would you really talk like this? And Warner says, no, I'd probably say it like this. And Stallone said, yeah, so say it like that. So anyway, I had asked Warner many times over the years about that experience doing Rocky Four, And Warner was only too happy to talk about it. So you know the scene in Rocky Four where Apollo's there, Warner's there, Ivan Drago is there. And who else is there? James Brown. Mr. Please, please, please. Uh, you know, the hardest working man in show business. Al Sharpton's mentor. Um, by, by the way, I saw Al Sharpton briefly in, in person on Friday. Somebody's got to give that guy a sandwich. Hey, he looks unhealthy. Completely unhealthy. And again, I'm 40 pounds overweight. I'm in no position to judge anybody's physique Somebody, uh, honestly, needs to do some sort of an inter- 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 intervention because the guy looks anorexic. He looks incredibly unhealthy. Put that aside. So, James Brown is performing, and he does Live it in America. Great song. And Warner tells this story to me on the air. This is 20 years ago. Tells this story to me on the air about how James Brown kept forgetting the words to the song, his own song. Now, I could believe it because based on what you've heard about James Brown, you know he was very into drugs from time to time, and you know he was very into partying from time to time, but I also couldn't believe it because, and according to Warner Wolf, that delay, because James Brown kept forgetting the words, caused what was supposed to be a very quick production, maybe three hours, it made it take three days, something along those lines. And I found it absurd on the one level because the only words that anybody knows in that song are living in America. So I feel like even if James Brown was having an off day and couldn't remember the words to his own song, he could have just kept saying living in America over and over again and nobody would have known the difference. They could have just filmed the scene as is. So 10 years later, It's around 2014, 2015. Joe Piscopo, whose radio show I was producing at the time, is in uh, Florida, Celebration Florida. And he's doing something, I think, for charity with Carl Weathers. And Carl Weathers turns out to be one of the nicest guys in the world, according to Piscopo. And he basically sits in on our show for an hour. And Joe is very generous as an interviewer and as a host, And Joe basically allows me to participate in the full interview, the whole interview. I tried to find the full interview to post it over the weekend. I couldn't find it. But the one question that I was going to be sure to ask Carl Weathers is was that true? Was what Warner Wolf said true? So I asked him about it. And this is what, uh, this is my question, and this is what Carl Weathers said. You know, well a fella I used to work with, Carl Warner Wolf, said when you guys did Rocky IV that it was supposed to take three hours to film that scene, in the famous exhibition match scene, but it ended up taking two and a half days because James Brown kept forgetting the words to "Living in America." Is that true? And how did you know, or is that something that Warner just made up over the years?
2: Uh, maybe, maybe he he was sitting at a different angle and had a different perspective. I wouldn't <laughs> say it wasn't true. There's no way we could have shot that in 3 hours. Yeah, yeah. There's no way we couldn't have shot. We were lucky to get it in 3 days. No, you, James Brown remembered everything. Yeah. By the way, there was a track playing. So yeah. how could he you know. And there was so many and I mean,
3: to, to that point and it, uh, uh, to that point uh there are so many different angles to mm. that. They she shot the heck out Joe, of that. it. You know, oh no. That I mean,
2: first of all, look at the dancers in the theater yeah, and the whole oh, thing. Just oh. shooting that, you couldn't have shot it in three hours.
3: But, man, you got right with it, man. When you we, came had,
2: up, we had such a great time. Was a fun? Look, for me, that's one of the greatest moments on film. Ah, when Apollo comes that up and is, is dancing great. with yeah, James yeah, Brown. Yeah, yeah, who yeah. <laughs> who in his right mind in this business, in the entertainment industry, can
1: say they were on stage dancing with James Brown in a major
2: motion so picture? True.
1: Oh, come on, It man. is. So I played that for Warner, and Warner basically took back uh, what he said and said maybe he maybe he misremembered. But it was more than just Rocky, uh, you know that um, that uh, uh, Carl Weathers had done. He had an incredible sense of humor. He did the Billy, the um, Adam Sandler film, Happy Gilmore.
2: Got something really special for you.
1: Wow! Thanks. See
2: that? That is the same putter I used when I played, slightly modified, of course.
1: And he just was a real character. Probably other than Rocky, the film that he's best known for is Predator. Who else is in Predator besides, you know, besides Carl Weathers? Well, obviously, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is in that film. And who else is in, you know, who else is in that film? Jesse Ventura. What became of both Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura. After that film, they both ran for governor and won. In the case of Schwarzenegger, became governor of California. In the case of Ventura, he became a governor of Minnesota. What you may not know is that Sonny Landom was in that film as well. He also ran for governor. He lost. He ran for governor in Kentucky. So you had a situation where you had three actors in the same film all run for governor of different states, and two of them actually get elected. So just to show you what a great sense of humor Carl Weathers had, he does this skit on, I think it was Saturday Night Live, but it might have been for Funny or Die. And look, I don't get the sense that Carl Weathers had any, you know, political aspirations. But he does this skit where he announces that he... Is going to run for governor. Jesse Ventura, Arnold
2: Schwarzenegger, Americans, governors, and stars of the movie Predator. Just like me, Carl Weathers. Hi, I'm Carl Weathers. I'm the black guy from Predator. This American classic has already provided. Two state governors, and frankly, I'd like to be the third. I'm not fussy. I mean, any state is fine. And while I've never voted personally, I was in the movie Predator, where I played the black guy. (laughs) My compatriot and good friend Arnold Schwarzenegger said, hasta la vista to politics as usual when he terminated Gray Davis. Well, I'd like to think that I've got the Apollo credentials to be your governor. Why? Because I'm a man of action. Jackson. And I was in Predator. Alright, I know what you're thinking. Wasn't Danny Glover the black guy from Predator? And shouldn't he therefore be your governor? No. That was Predator 2. Doesn't America deserve Better than the star of Predator 2. The America I know and love won't settle for less. But more importantly, do you remember that I was in Predator? Well, I was in Predator. Carl Weathers for Governor. He was the black guy in Predator.
1: So I, I thought that was really funny, and it showed that Carl Weathers really had a great sense of humor about himself. But to me... The thing that made Carl Weathers so great as a performer and as a guy that had a sense of humor was without a doubt his role on Arrested Development. Have you ever seen Arrested Development? If you have not, listen to what I'm about to say. Watch season one. Treasure it. Watch season two. Enjoy it. Watch season three. Tolerate it watch nothing else that ever came after season three that has the words Arrested Development on it. This was one of those shows I loved so much, and the critics loved it, too. The audience did, but the critics loved it. And I loved it so much, I would pray to have it come back because it, came, it was so wonderful. The show then comes back, and it was terrible, honestly. And then it still had this devoted fan base, and then they kept it going, but it was still terrible. If possible, it was even worse. I love the show so much, I would root for it to end. I would root for it to be put out of its misery. But the first two seasons, brilliant. Some of the best television you've ever seen. So Carl Weathers plays a fictionalized version of himself, and basically, if you've not seen it, the defining characteristic of Carl Weathers on this show, and he plays Carl Weathers, he's an acting teacher, is that he's cheap. He's not just cheap; he's super cheap. For instance, somebody will throw away a bone of that on a spare rib they're eating, and I'll say, "No, no, no, no! What are you doing? You can't throw away this bone. Throw this in there with a little hot water, a couple other ingredients, and pretty soon you got a stew going." And he was, he took being cheap to the next level, and it was hilarious. So where did the idea of Carl Weathers being cheap come from? It came from Carl Weathers himself. This, uh, and he plays it absolutely brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly, as he did in this uh, scene at Burger King on Arrested Development.
2: I'm directing an episode of the series Scandal Makers. It's about the Bluth family and your father-in-law's escape from justice. I play the lead, Bounty Hunter, name of Ice.
4: Oh, no. You want me to play myself, don't you? (laughs) I swore I'd not go reality. No, 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 no. no, no. I
2: I already got a great guy named David Tell to play you. I wasn't actually here to ask you to be in it. I'm looking for somebody in your family to sign a release.
4: (sighs) I could not betray my
2: family like that. Come on, man. I got every part cast except for George Sr. I want that part. Then sign over the rights. We've got a new soda. You know that you can get a refill on any drink you want here, and it's free.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a wonderful restaurant. (laughs) He was so excited to get those free refills at Burger King, but according to the show creator, Mitch Hurwitz, when he approached Carl Weathers, his response was, I don't want to just do a bunch of Rocky jokes. Nobody wants that. Maybe I could be really cheap or something. And sure enough, they pulled it off brilliantly. So I'm sorry that he's gone. I'm sorry that I never got to meet him in person. I'm glad that I did have the occasion to interview him 10 years ago, uh, but he strikes me as just a great guy. Both Jesse Ventura and uh, Sylvester Stallone put out very stirring tributes to him on uh, on social media, which I think says a great deal about him. And, uh, you know, I thought it was very odd for a guy that was in such great shape he or seemed so healthy he really didn't uh they didn't say anywhere what his cause of death was and for a guy in that kind of shape to die at 76 i mean not that it's any of our business but i was just curious how does a guy that's in that kind of incredible peak physical condition how does he die at what's not old 76 is not old maybe it is i don't know the older the closer i get to 76 the less it seems like it's old but he the all the family said was that he died at, at his home peacefully in his sleep there you have it that's good to hear but uh, i think um he was an incredible performer and he is certainly going to be missed you want to comment you certainly can do so 800 848 9222 800 848 9222 a very smart guy though in addition to uh, graduating from san francisco state actually went and got a master's degree from san diego state as well, uh, and seem to really just enjoy his craft, really enjoy people, and seem to really enjoy competitive sports as well. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 9222,
5: 9222, if you want to comment. Brandon is in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon. Hi, good morning, Frank. Morning. I, uh, I'm morning. I, um, First of all, you know, Noam will get a kick out of this, but he was, you know, such a young man, it was really, it was sad to to hear that he died. And well, I, well I Noam is still it. alive. <laughs> well, I know Noam is, but um, he and Sid have this running uh, joke about how, um, you know, Jewish mothers always say, even if the person is 99 years old, that, uh, you know, he was such a young man. Right, that's, right. It really makes saying.
1: you think. Hey, if it could happen to him, it could happen to anybody. Sure.
5: And. um you know I have to say, Frank, I completely disagree with you. Rocky four was a national treasure uh, treasure i mean let us look at it uh we were you know at the height of the cold war um at least you know in our lifetime and and it you know represented east versus west you had rocky he was lifting wooden beams in the in the barn in uh russia um you had you know um the antagonist's name, I forget his uh Ivan name. Drago. Uh, yes, yes, Drago. He was uh, getting injected with steroids. Um, you know, it was it was a win for the West. I, I really thought it was... Right, but again, again I Rocky enjoy
1: War. the film, right? I still watch it when it's on, so don't misunderstand me. I don't think there's any comparison between that and the prior Rocky films. You know, th- to me, the stereotypes in that film are so uh, cartoonish. And then, you know, you talk about the Rockies training. Those training montages, you know, they're in every Rocky movie. In that film, it's taken to a whole new level where you have these guys, almost superhuman Training sequences, when when Rocky's running up the mountain in the snow or lifting a horse carriage, I mean, it got, it, it, it then goes to the point of defining any sort of um, uh, of reality. It goes from being a story, the Rocky franchise. Uh, about something that could happen, a guy that goes uh, 15 rounds with a Muhammad Ali type character, even though, you know, he's a regular working class stiff uh, and he's dealing with his own demons and stuff, to a guy with superhuman strength to lift horse carriages oh, you know, <laughs> over, his, over his head in the snow. I mean, it was, just, it was just so silly. It was ridiculous.
5: Well, he wasn't lifting it over his head. Well, he was just lifting it on its side and he was running up the, the mountain with the plow shear. And uh, isn't that what makes it so great, though? I mean, it's like these two superpowers, U.S. versus USSR, and you have Rocky. He's you know getting getting into this whole new you know workout routine in the USSR, and you have Drago. You know the uh, the the secret weapon of of Russia. I mean, isn't that what makes it so great?
1: Uh, I mean, yes and no. I mean, it's the only one out of those five that I find to be cartoonish, right? And again, I think... Look, I still watch it. I enjoy it. It's fine for what it is. I think it's so incredibly absurd that... um, And that the the death scene after that exhibition match with the flashy lights and the intense music, it just... it, It seems like it's going out of its way to... Play with your emotions and manipulate your emotions. Whereas the other Rocky films were, they would they wouldn't manipulate your emotions. They would just depict real human events, and because you're a human, that resonates with you emotionally. They didn't have to do the kind of flashy lights and things like that. But that's why there's chocolate and vanilla, Brandon. Like Jay Z says, uh, it's subjective. It's subjective. And then I I just again I don't want to pick on Rocky IV because I, I the only reason I mentioned the absurdity of this was to talk about how great of an actor Carl Weathers is, but this ridiculous speech that Rocky gives at the end of the film is is the kind of preachy simplistic thing that an athlete would never ever say given the complex geopolitical realities of the time. And and let's not even get into the superhuman strength of Ivan Drago, right? Uh, Or the lack of boxing regulations or safety standards or any sort of official oversight that that match had. I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous film, but Carl Weathers makes it worth watching. And, you know, Sylvester Stallone as well. And my friend, Warner Wolf, but, it's still it's still ridiculous here was sylvester stallone talking a little bit about carl weathers
3: hello everyone today is an incredibly sad day for me i mean i i'm so torn up i can't even tell you i'm just trying to hold it in because carl weathers was such an integral part of my life my success everything about it i i give him incredible credit and kudos because when he walked into that room, and I saw him for the first time, I saw greatness. But I didn't realize how great. I never could have accomplished what we did with Rocky without him. He was absolutely brilliant. His voice, his size, his power, his athletic ability, but more importantly, his heart, his soul. It's, it, it's a horrible loss. And I'm standing here in front of this painting because it was probably the last moment we were ever in the ring together, and I'll never forget, it. he was magic. And I was so fortunate to be part of his life. So, Apollo, keep punch.
1: See, that's nice. That's very moving. I thought that was very kind. 800-848-9222. Noam Layden is here. We're going to talk with him in a minute. Robert is on Long Island. Hello, Robert. How are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um people are aware, Carl Weathers, he won a television award two a year or two years ago. He played the in, in uh Mandal- Mandalorian. You know, I never uh, I, I never saw him in Mandalorian, but um I know that's a very popular show. Yeah, he was um he was nominated, I think, for a, a primetime Emmy for that. Right, yes, that's it. And he was in good shape. I, I I don't I don't understand. It's it's scary. It is. He's in very good shape. Th- I mean, that's why. Again, I, I appreciate that the family probably wants their privacy and they don't want people poking around in terms of you know very personal stuff. But I am so curious about how he died. I mean, I don't know if he was sick or he had something that people didn't know. But yeah, up until recently, you'd see him on television and you think that looks like the god Apollo. Yes. Um, I mean, the Mandalorian was a year, two years ago,
2: and he was in good shape. He, he, he was in very good shape. You would never realize he was in his 70s.
1: Yeah. No, you're, you're, it's a great point, Robert. I don't know what happened, but it, it is a shame. 800 848 Jean is in Manhattan.
6: Hello, Jean. Yeah. Uh, Frank, I tuned in this morning when you were giving the commendation to Sam Waterston for Law & Order. And, um yeah, and I hope you okay. concurred with it. Now, well, uh, in 206, Central Casting asked people that wanted to do background in film and TV to come get their picture taken. And the first assignment they sent me to was Chelsea peers to the courtroom of uh, Sam Wasserson as the prosecutor. And when the elevator door opened to the set, there was a big poster of Sam Wasserson's. Uh, from the Killing Fields film that he was in.
1: Sure, a, a great film, all about the... Uh, uh, it
6: was, and you know what? Um, I mean, it seems so long ago now, Frank, but uh, I believe the person whose place he took uh, went on to try to get a political office in Kentucky.
1: Um, or are you talking about Fred Thompson, who was elected to the U.S. Senate, I think, from Tennessee?
6: Okay, maybe that was it then. I think he was an actor at one point. Yes, yes he was, and then uh, ran for
1: president after that. Unfortunately, he passed away as well. But uh, So, Gene, did you get to interact much with uh, Sam Waterston when you were a, a, a background actor on Law & Order?
6: Well, that was the first one that I did. I did a number of uh, backgrounds for them in all sorts of places, and uh, over in the... Uh, in New Jersey and up in Porchester, New York. Uh it was the one time though that I was actually on the court in the courtroom set. And he actually made a mistake while he was doing something. I was in the courtroom. You know, we were people just sitting in the courtroom. I wasn't on a jury or anything. But we were on the big uh set uh that they used for the courtroom. And uh it was a, It was wonderful. The only thing I never did background for was uh, Special Victims Unit. It always seemed hmm. so bad, and Leslie Karen got an award for doing that. But she was a rape victim, and I never liked to do things like that.
1: Sure, I can understand that. Hey, Gene, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Noam Layton is here. We'll find out uh, if he ever got to know either Carl Weathers or Sam Waterston. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
6: He's your numero uno.
0: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Murano.
1: 20 minutes until the top of the hour as we mourn the loss of legendary actor and performer Carl Weathers. Another legendary performer has sauntered in to the studio to help us start our news week. Stand by for the other side of midnight's
3: news.
0: From New York City, the other side of midnight's. And its affiliated stations present National and International News with Frank Murano and News Director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story.
1: Hello now. Good morning,
4: Frank. A Russian cosmonaut, Oleg Kononenko, must really hate his family. Oh, boy. He has just broken the record for the most days logged in space, 878 days aboard the International Space Station. He will go even further. He broke the record of a fellow cosmonaut, by the way. He will go even further, likely going past 1,000 days in space. Of course, they'll study the effects of that when he lands back on Earth. In the meantime, he says, yeah, he misses his family. uh, But because of the technology, of course, he's able to talk with them regularly, essentially like FaceTiming them, essentially, and communicating with them. Uh, He says he he has some realization after being in space for 878 days that the kids will look a little bit
1: older when he gets back to Earth. I'm gonna, uh, you know, uh, I'm curious though. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's all right. W- what is this doing to his health? I can't imagine it's good.
4: Well, the, this is part of why he's going to stay, is they will, you know, check to see what this does to his self, because one day we want to populate places around outside in the solar system, and so they will look to see what it does. They don't know yet. I mean, there's been—they've already had this one cosmonaut who was in space for 877 days, and he was okay. I mean, it took him a while until he was up and walking. They really had to check him out. They had the doctors do the thorough Health check, and he was fine. Uh, ultimately, he's been okay. Um, so, in this case, uh, it'll go to about a thousand days. It's an interesting moment. It's the last place, really, at this point, that we're still cooper- cooperating with the Russians. I mean, it, it is fascinating to me that there was a time when the space program fell apart in Russia because mm. the economy was bad. They didn't sure. want to spend the money. Now, there's clearly a path to spend that money. And we've lost cooperation with uh, Russia in almost every other way. But here at the International Space Station, it is peace and harmony. We love each other. The Americans are up there. The Russians are up there. Everybody getting along just fine.
1: Well, so there you got it. We have to just send everybody to space, and that'll be the end of all these conflicts. Yeah. uh, You
4: know, look, all those guys, once they get there, they have the same thing in common. Their whole lives, they wanted to be astronauts, and now they are.
1: No no doubt about it. Well, uh, congratulations to him. uh, But – I can't imagine. It's got to be. That's got to be very difficult. Carmine, how old is Carmine? Two. Would you bring Carmine to Mount Everest? I probably would not. No, there is outrage. A long car ride is a, a stretch. <laughs> you know, we have to do the two and a half hour drive to Eastern Long Island. That's a, that's a stretch.
4: There is an outrage uh, over this family that brought their two year old to base camp at Mount Everest on a whim. By the way. Uh, Carter Dallas is from Glasgow in Scotland. He reached the site, which is 17,000 feet above sea level on his father's back. They are on this, essentially this world tour, which I think is by the way, kind of cool. They're just taking them all over the world sure, and introducing them okay. to different things. Took a year off from work. And so they were near Mount Everest and they said, let's go to base camp. So they took him up there. And of course the air much thinner up there. Uh, the parents actually were the only ones who really struggled with breathing uh... the two-year-old they said did fantastic they had uh, some sort of medic with them to check to make sure that he was okay as he made his way to base camp. But there's all these people online saying, how dare you? You didn't know how a two year old would respond right. to being at base camp. Why would you bring him up there? And they said, no, this is all part of life's adventures. And they're fine with people, you know, throwing back, fighting back at them, slapping back at them. They say this is, you know, we want to teach our two year old that he can do anything when he gets older and that he should see the world. And this is part of seeing the world.
1: I um I, I mean, I'm glad it worked out, but uh, I, I can't see m- myself wanting to do that. I mean, I, I am not even certain I would want to d- go to Mount Everest by myself, yeah. let alone bring a,
4: a two-year-old. Well, I think they brought a Sherpa with them, and so they were okay as they made their way up to base camp, and they brought some food. But, I mean, the most fascinating part was there was no planning involved in this at all. They just happened nearby, and they said, let's do it, and they did it. And, I mean, it all worked out okay, of course it. Could have been the opposite, but no, everybody's fine.
1: You know, I could see this two, current two-year-old in the future growing up to be resentful of all these adventures. Because a lot of times, whatever your parents make an effort to expose you to right. as a young person, whether it's an interest like sports or whether it's a lifestyle like having many siblings or whether it's a, a, a hobby or an activity – then uh, you get you rebel against that a little bit when you're older, and I could see this this future adult wanting to just do a lot of sitting around watching television, like living in his parents' basement. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm serious. You <laughs> right. know, I hope that doesn't happen. Obviously, because the the parents seem very well intentioned here, but uh, I could see that happening.
4: Last year. The studios, the Hollywood studios, weren't making a whole lot of anything because of that actor strike. First, it was the uh, writers that went on strike. Then it was the actors that went on strike. And finally, we're getting new content. But the numbers from Nielsen just came out this week for last year in terms of streaming. And it is amazing to think what we watched. So there was a lot of new content that was made that was put out by all the streamers. But we wanted the old stuff, the number one. Do you know what the most streamed show on uh, on the streamers were last year? So I'm going to guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and I'm not going to look it up. Suits. That's right. Okay. Far and away, Suits, which was a, probably a show you've never heard of. You had, you probably had never watched before. It was on the USA Network from 2011 to 2019. Netflix subscribers just devouring this show 57 billion minutes of viewing time watching Suits, which far and away was the most watched show on the streamers. It beat The Office, which usually does well. Stranger Things, it beat its new season. It was the most viewed thing on Netflix, easily far and away. And so much so... That uh, they've brought back the suits cast for all these reunions, and there's a good chance it looks like they'll be picked up for a couple more seasons, assuming they can get all the actors back. Megan Markle, you'll remember, was initially a part of a couple of those seasons. She's not coming back, though. So, uh, so far, they have not convinced her to come back.
1: Um, I don't know what else she's so busy doing. Her <laughs> podcast got canceled. I don't see why she wouldn't. I am not surprised to hear that because I felt like for 10 months, wherever i would go any room that i would walk into people were telling me they were obsessed with suits and watching it constantly i just i wonder why certain things come back into vogue and you know it maybe i'm sure the meghan markle free publicity had something to do with it there were a whole bunch of people that believe that it was part of some sort of uh, concerted effort that this didn't happen organically but I I do, I do wonder about that kind of thing
4: Netflix by the way will tell you it did happen organically they initially did not push it but then of course when they saw what was happening they did push it and you know so when you turned on Netflix it was one of the most recommended shows um, it was probably most they say it was just new to most people it was even though it was uh, a couple years old some of those seasons were even ten years old. It was the issue they say it was just that viewers had not seen it before. Uh, Coco Melon is that is your kid into one of those he shows? Is. So that had been the number one kids show for the previous two years, but this new show Bluey ah. is now the king of children's TV. Forty three billion minutes streamed in twenty twenty three for Bluey. Have you seen Bluey?
1: I have actually. What happened was, you know, we worked on um, we got a hotel room on Thanksgiving, but um, I still had to do the show in the morning, so. Um Carmine was, uh, you know, restless, uh, sleeping in this hotel room, and we they had some children's programming on, and the only program they had on was Bluey. And that's the first time we saw it. And then they had a, a, this big Bluey float, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, at the Thanksgiving Day Parade, and it was okay. And so my son remembered watching it on Thanksgiving in the middle of the night And then remember that bluey float, and then he wanted to watch it when we came home. And my wife actually really likes it. The two of them really get into it. And it's interesting because it's uh, Australian. And uh, there's all these kids that are into this show that have now developed these Australian accents. Because they're watching these Australian (laughs) characters. But yeah, he does like uh, Bluey and Coco Melon. And in fact you know there's this um it, it, i w- fell asleep for a nap you know last night and i had the bluey theme song <laughs> in my sleep right. i was literally he- dreaming That's great. about the bluey theme song because carmine gets really into it it goes da 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 and then it pauses and then he says mom and he shouts to the tv mom and then he goes da 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 and he he shouts very excitedly he says dad, right? you know, and then you know he gets really into it. So I have seen it, and it's not the worst show that I've seen. Repetition, of course, is everything when
4: it comes to kids' programming, and, and that's why, so you can make like 10, 15, 20 episodes of this show, and kids, uh, especially your kids' age, they will watch each episode
1: 500 times. But, you know, honestly, they only made something like 30 episodes of The Honeymooners, And I feel like I could do the same thing with the Honeymooners and just watch all those Honeymooners episodes over and over (laughs) again. I really do. There was a show
4: called The Wonder Pets that one of my kids was into, and he could, within seven seconds of the show coming on, he could tell you— which episode it was that's you know so it's same sort of thing just watching it over and over and over again
1: so at this point bluey is number one in terms of children's program far away it's not even
4: close 43 billion minutes watching bluey uh, in last year and then uh the uh some of the shares of the older shows they went up as well friends 14 billion minutes worth of streaming time Uh, a lot of that probably attributed to the fact that matthew perry one of the stars of the show unfortunately died in october so big huge streaming numbers by the way, this is all essentially, in the end, bad news for the networks in terms of real time TV. People just not watching the networks at all. It's all about these streamers.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of younger people today, and when I say young, I don't even mean two, but I'm talking eight, nine, ten, eleven. They don't even understand the concept that something is on no. at a certain time. Right. That you that you know, Friday night at eight p.m., X Y Z show is on. They just assume that you can watch whatever you want whenever you want to watch it, and uh, we're almost there.
4: Yeah, and that's why I think it was 83 of the top 100 shows last year were live sporting events, because yeah. that's the only thing people will tune in for.
1: Yeah, no, I think it was even more than that. I think it was 93, and all NFL football. It was all Can NFL Can you imagine? Football. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing for the uh, Super Bowl, Mel? Uh, I don't know. What are you doing for the Super Bowl? I don't know. We have to work the next day, oh, so right. I mean, yeah, you can't yeah. get crazy. But maybe if you, if you hear of any good, convenient Super Bowl parties that have Cots for naps and things like that. Let me let me
4: know <laughs> that ended at like 7:30. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, no, sure. And now you know the rest of the story.
1: That's uh, gnome laden. Hey, you know what? I'm watching now as I'm uh trying to um trying to get back into shape a little bit and work out. I am rewatching Star Trek The Next Generation because not long ago I rewatched Star Trek the original series. And it had been something like 25 years since I saw the episodes of The Next Generation. I mean, I've seen an episode here, an episode there, mainly the episodes that really uh, spoke to me. But I hadn't watched the the series, really, since it was on. And I'm watching it now, and it really is quite good. I mean, you know, I had seen it in reruns from time to time. But I'm re-watching the whole thing now, and I'm in season two now. With, which is the Dr. Pulaski season. And I'm surprised they never brought Dr. Pulaski back for something. I tweeted the other day that maybe they should do a prequel or a spinoff Focused on Dr. Pulaski because uh, she only had one season and she had a lot of redeeming value as a character. The actress that played her, Diana Mulder, still alive. So I think um, it would be great to see her come back on the next season of Picard if there is another season of Picard. All right. We'll do 15 Seconds of Fame in a moment. If you'd like to be heard, you can do so for 15 seconds at 800 848 9222. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight. side at midnight with Frank Marano.
1: I am Frank Morano. Thanks for listening. Uh, We will end this show the way we end every program by giving you 15 seconds to comment on anything you like. 800-848-9222 is part of
0: The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of fame. Fame. Joey. James O'Keefe of O'KeefeMediaGroup.com
5: is fighting to save America. Please support O'KeefeMediaGroup.com, O'KeefeMediaGroup.com, O'KeefeMediaGroup.com. Andrew.
1: Carl Weathers
5: played Chief Hampton Forbes in, in the heat of the night with Carol O'Connor for
6: the last few seasons in the mid-90s.
1: Mike. Good morning, Frank.
5: I heard that radio snippet you did on the Great Molasses Flood of 1919 in Boston. Hitting speeds of 35 miles an hour? That sure wasn't slow as molasses. More like fast as fudge. Robert. A cat is a cat, of course, of course. This one kitty that we can all endorse. That's your best
6: friend, Mr. Red.
1: Steve. Lisa.
6: I didn't realize that um, Carl Weathers actually was a football player.
1: See, the more you learn on the show. Russell.
3: I thought Anne Spencer Lindbergh killed her own baby son and didn't have any others. I was wrong. She had four other children. And Charles Lindbergh killed his own son and allowed someone else to be executed for. Rusty.
6: Yeah. Any good American will call them illegal aliens, not
1: migrants like you, Mr. Smarty Pants. Brian. This is a moron. This is a- Michael.
4: Yes, uh, Dominic, we like your two-hour show. There's no need for you to overlap into Frank's show. Thank
1: you. E. Frank.
6: Yeah, uh, child abuse and domestic violence is not a, a legal issue. It's more like a drug and a very serious, serious crime of the heart.
1: All right. Thank you, E. Frank. Well said. We'll end it on that note. Uh, Back tomorrow with Colonel Daniel Davis and former Las Vegas mayor Oscar Goodman. Also, uh, we'll get into the possibility of life after death with George Anderson. Frank Morano. good day.